because COVID came so hard and so fast in New York City. In most instances, utilities were looking to us. We became the best practice in a lot of ways. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we are talking about corporate communications during the COVID-19 pandemic. Last week we discussed what utilities have learned in the last few months. Today we will discuss the messaging strategy from the epicenter of the virus here in the U.S., New York City. I first visited New York in 2001. That summer I got an internship at New York One News, and from there went on to be a news producer for a couple of years before gravitating to the energy sector. My internship came to an end four weeks before September 11th. My guest was working for the electric utility on 9-11, as well as the 2003 blackout, Hurricane Sandy, and countless nor'easters or winter storms. All those events were crises of reliability for the electric utilities affected. Power was down. In the case of the COVID pandemic, electric reliability is never been under serious threat. The messaging for electric utilities has a different tone. The biggest challenge for New York, as opposed to electric utilities like the one I work with, is that the dense nature of the Big Apple makes it much more challenging to maintain social distancing. I haven't really talked about this, but I've been playing a big role in a certain event that was supposed to take place in Charlotte later this summer. The effort to upgrade infrastructure for that event was massive, but even though we were upgrading infrastructure around our downtown, we never had to work underground. Now, you've seen shows and movies that depict this in New York guys in blue hard hats descending manholes. Some of the substations in the Charlotte area are over an acre. My guess says most of their communications have been internal, monitoring the infected or ensuring expectations are clear to their employees. The external messaging, what you see on their social media, for instance, again, has a different tone from past crises. I call it the keep calm, carry on tone with my guests. For instance, don't worry, the lights are on, they're not going off, even if you can't pay in some cases. And what about the utilities' role in the larger conversation? We've seen protests where business owners are demanding to reopen in some states. Make no mistake, there's a divide between the risk-averse public officials and business owners who may be losing their companies they spend a lifetime to grow. All of this paints a picture of a communications effort that has to be clear, concise, and calm, despite a whirlwind of chaos. My guest today is Mary McCartney, Corporate Communications Director for Con Edison, the public utility that serves New York City and some of the surrounding counties. Mary is a lifelong New Yorker and has been with the company for over 20 years. Before Con Ed, she worked with the New York City Transit. If you've been to New York, you probably used a MetroCard. She helped start that system. Mary has also served on the COVID-19 Task Force at Con Ed, which was a cross-departmental war room set up to handle the crisis. Those of you who heard my TXU episodes in episode 10 can hear about my experiences in groups like that. Mary and I first spoke during a webinar on their COVID messaging for E4 Carolinas, based here in Charlotte, back in May. Now, last week, I was able to talk to her again and ask a few more questions to help round out the conversation. Mary kicks off our interview with some slides, which I'll link to in the episode page and show description. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mary McCartney. 
We're here with Mary McCartney, Director of Corporate Communications for Con Ed. Mary, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate the invitation. I'm happy to be here to speak to everybody. I think one of the best parts of our industry to Con Edison has been performing during the pandemic. When we run through a few slides, as Jay mentioned, in New York, we are kind of in the belly of the beast with the pandemic. I can tell you that the first Con Edison employee to test positive was March 17th. The pandemic team is composed of representatives from corporate affairs. That's myself. I'm representing communications and our government relations group, as well as our strategic partnership group, our EHNS team, emergency preparedness, supply chain, labor relations, employee wellness center, field services, law, and human resources. And we also have representatives from our commodities, gas, electric, and steam as well. The fundamentals that we follow for a pandemic team is to follow CDC recommendations, to benchmark and look for best practices, to use our employee wellness center. We have a fabulous nurse practitioner who is an infectious disease specialist. We establish guidelines for quarantining, for backtracing, and return to work guidance. We use Connor, which is our intranet site, as a repository for all our information. And we direct employees to our frequently asked questions on Connor. We also established a pandemic hotline and email mailbox for employee feedback. And as always, and as everyone on this call knows, we communicate and over communicate as much as possible. Next slide, please. This is a quick snapshot of Connor, our intranet site. I can't underline enough how important our intranet site and having a good one in good shape has been to this whole communication effort. We have how do I find? And that lets us put the COVID information every day. And that allows us to push the work of our employees there as well. And a really good search. And it has been one of the most important channels for us during this entire crisis. Can we go to the next slide, please? This just gives you a sense of what our COVID-19 FAQ site looks like. We've got up there the guidelines for exposure and testing. An enormous amount of work went into coming up with the right guidelines, again, following the CDC recommendations. As we're starting re-entry, we've got re-entry information in. We have and flow charts that can help them understand if you test positive, what are the next steps? If one of your colleagues tests positive, what are the next steps? When can you return? Next slide, please. This is for customers. We've been very straightforward. We've taken the steps that I think most of us in this business have taken. If we're in a site with a lot of illness, we've suspended turnoffs during the crisis. We suspended late payments. We've suspended meter reading. We've stopped our smart meter installation. We got rid of late payment fees. We did all those things to help our customers feel more comfortable and to help ensure our employees' safety and comfort as well. At the same time, we sent out really helpful information for people, recognizing that more of our customers are, well, all of our customers are working from home if you're not an essential worker right now. And being aware that people were going to be getting estimated bills, save energy and save money. We've also done a very quick online customer survey asking our customers as we are starting to re-enter just this week, in fact, what are the things they're going to be looking for, expecting from Con Edison employees? And that's proved very helpful in reassuring them that yes, we will be wearing masks and gloves. 
If you want to go to the next slide, just a quick snapshot of some of the social media. We did a sort of a thank you shout out to employees. We have not been pushing that. Always best for that information to come from customers themselves. So we share that wherever we get it. What we really pushed with video and social media are stories of what employees are doing to help. And on the right there, you've got a story about our machine shop up at Van Nest in the Bronx that switched to manufacturing face shields that we donated to healthcare workers in Westchester County. We got a lot of nice play on that in the media as well as in social media. At the same time, we've also let people know that we've donated over $100,000 to various food supply organizations. We've donated to the mayor's fund, to the New York Police Department and New York Fire Department funds. And our employees have personally donated over $100,000 to different organizations. And the company has matched that dollar for dollar. Next slide, please. I would urge you to have your graphics team start working on sign manual as easy as possible. You want to establish consistent messages and designs for all of your facilities before individual artwork starts popping up. And the last slide, this made us feel good last week. On the left, there's a photo that we clipped from a video that we did early on to promote social distancing on safety briefings and then any other activity in the field among our crews. And on the right is a tweet we saw last week from one of our customers saying, yep, they noticed our crew standing in a circle six feet apart, everybody wearing masks. We kind of gave ourselves a pat on the back when we saw that. So that's just very big picture, very quickly, Jay, and I'll be happy to answer any questions. (laughs) I think that's the first time utilities ever gotten credit for anything, Mary. Look, utilities have dealt with these kinds of preparations before with SARS, swine flu, bird flu. When was it clear to you that life was changing for a prolonged period of time this time? Well, we have a pandemic team and have for about 10 years at Con Edison. So as you point out, we have dealt with other crises. We deal with crises all the time, but I would say it wasn't until the numbers were really starting to go through the roof for New York City in April, and we didn't see the plateau in sight. And shortly afterwards, the company announced sort of what our stage one, stage two, stage three re-entry plans would look like. And there was nothing about any remote worker coming back to the office who could continue to work remotely until September at the earliest. And I sort of thought, In my mind, somehow 4th of July was sort of, well, I think, you know, we'll be able to return to the office, not return to work because we've all been working all along. So I would say that early April time frame was the most alarming. We're recording this toward the end of June. April seems like a lifetime ago. Absolutely. (laughs) Do you remember what your main messaging focus was at the time before it was all COVID all the time? Yes. In fact, we had just launched our clean energy commitment, which we were looking forward to really promoting and educating customers and other stakeholders about it. We kind of put that aside for now, obviously, but we're getting ready to return to it. So, Sure. You know, Mary, I got my start professionally as an intern at New York One News. In fact, I've kept this with me the entire journey. I want to talk about some of the crises you've dealt with in the past compared to this. Now, yes, COVID is a crisis, but let's think about a lot of things that you've dealt with that have really hit Con Ed. The 2003 blackout, 9-11. 
Hurricane Sandy, all those winter storms you have all the time. <laughs> this isn't a crisis of reliability. Yes, it's a crisis that's going on, but really as Con Ed, you have the ability to say, hey, we have this. Keep calm, carry on. The healthcare workers are definitely taxed, but it's not Con Ed's crisis. Am I on to something here? No, very much so, Jay. I was involved of all and a few more. This is the first time that our focus has really been 85% internal on employees. Externally, we're not the story and we don't want to be the story. We took actions early on to help customers with bills, to help them with their sense of safety, staying safe and healthy by withdrawing a lot of work from the street in their homes. We have donated to our communities. The stories that we promote are the stories of how we have helped build some of the field hospitals in Central Park or in the Javits Center, how we've helped power the testing stations around the city, how are the crew that I mentioned in Van Nest on their own figured out how they could switch the work they're doing and start creating face shields for healthcare workers. All of us in this industry, we all know no one tells our story better than the people who work for our companies. And we've got a lot of good stories to tell. That's what we've relied on. What messaging cues have you taken from other utilities? Were there some good ideas that you liked out there? I'll tell you, it's interesting because we participated in the EEI benchmarking calls and in many, many different communications organizations for members of the conference board, Reagan Communications, and a number of other ones to look for best practices, to look for benchmarking. But frankly, because COVID came so hard and so fast in New York City, that in most instances, utilities were looking to us. We became the best practice in a lot of ways, which is not to say always in our industry in particular, we'll learn, we look back, we'll assess what we did well, what we could do better on and how we can change our policies and procedures to do better. But I really think it's closer to say that other utilities were calling us to find out what we were doing with employees, what we were doing with customers, what we were doing with our HR policies, our health and hygiene policies, all of those issues. Yeah, I spoke to the lead author on a white paper that was discussing some of the energy trends and especially demand, <laughs> residential demand, which has all gone up. Mm -hmm. You did have one post that I thought was interesting. It was depicting ways to save energy at home. Obviously, right. demand is higher. I thought that was really creative. It was a way to maybe address another issue that was wasn't exactly related to the virus specifically. Was that an idea that you developed or did you see that yes, somewhere else? We quickly looked at is the economic situation was getting grimmer and grimmer. How can we help our customers? And we suspended turnoffs, continued to do so, and suspended payment fees, a number of ways of assisting them. Then we realized like everyone is at home with all the laptops on at the same time. If you have kids who are going through remote learning with the schools, you have the adults working, if you have younger kids, especially in apartments in New York, you're not able to go out to your backyard or whatever. They're watching videos and everything else. What kind of information and advice could we give our customers to help them better manage their bills during this time? I like that a lot. You mentioned that Con Ed, a lot of utilities have relaxed overdue collections. How are you managing the public's expectations with that without really getting into some financial trouble? You know, we're relaxing collections. That doesn't mean it's forgiven. It doesn't seem like the stock prices for utilities have taken a hit on that. It would seem like eventually everyone will be made whole. But what are you doing externally about that and those expectations with the public? As I said, we had a city council hearing this morning, which may in fact still be going on. And we anticipate anticipated getting asked that. And we're just going to reassure everyone that we don't see any change in those customer assistance moves that we made in the immediate future, certainly through the rest of the summer. 
You're also serving on a COVID-19 task force at Con Ed. <laughs> I take it it's kind of like a war room. I was a part of a war room back in Texas about 15 years ago when TXU was being bought out by a private equity firm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it, it was pretty interesting. Tell us about this task force. Is it daily? How's that set up? It's our pandemic team, and we've had a pandemic team in place for well over a decade. And we drill maybe probably every other year or so. And then with SARS, and we had a problem in New York several years ago with measles, and unfortunately last year as well, keeping an eye on those issues. So mostly it was keeping informed, everyone staying informed, starting back really in January when the news was coming out of China, out of Wuhan, about this novel virus, this new virus. We took note, we discussed, we sort of brushed off what do we do and when, at what point do we talk to employees, it was too soon then. And then as things moved very quickly, we went from weekly phone calls to daily phone calls, and then we followed the incident command structure. Mm. We instituted the ICS system and established two main pandemic teams, a blue team and a red team. And not too long after that, we added three more teams, did a lot of the follow-up contact tracing with employees, checking with employees who were quarantined, responding to employees. We set up all sorts of ways of communicating with employees, and we knew it was important to be as transparent as possible and timely and accurate. Well, the blue team met in our auditorium, and the red team met in one of our major conference rooms. The two teams were separate so that if somebody became ill, we would have backup teams. And we were probably the last group of people working in offices to go remote. We went remote, I think it was sort of the middle of April. Yeah. And at that point, we weren't sure if going remote was going to work out okay, but it has. It's amazing how easy that transition has been with really no frame of reference, right? You're absolutely right. Things that I think made all of us nervous about, well, can we really do this work remotely? It's like, yes, we can. It's not always going to be done the same way. And we may be changing some priorities. And I think everybody is looking at how to manage certain aspects of their work. I think we all miss the collegiality and the coordination that comes from being in the same office. But through different kinds of technology, we're able to all stay in touch and to continue to work closely together. Certainly. And the folks who can't work remotely, of course, are the line workers and all those folks. I work in transmission. We have a lot of projects out at substations. And Mary, you know, some of these substations we have could be several acres. (laughs) That's not what you're dealing with in most parts of New York. You got a lot of underground substations. That's a very dense, a lot of confined spaces. Tell us about some of those issues you've been facing and really how you've dealt with them. Right. And those essential workers, I mean, all of Con Edison, all of us are considered essential workers, but those frontline workers who are the real heroes, you're absolutely right describing them as such. Very quickly, we established satellite workout locations as it became clear that community spread was more an issue than everyone realized initially. We follow CDC guidelines throughout this entire process. That is one of the pandemic team's key items is to follow those guidelines. We started looking at things like how can we, rather than having 300 people in a workout location, you know, split that in half or maybe even split it in half again. We had tents in parks. In some instances, we activated different areas that we had some space and we could put additional people in. Usually you've got two people in a truck. We established only one person and we made other vehicles available and we did initially have enough vehicles available and if not we said to our employees you can use your own vehicle we'll pay for that 
And if they didn't have a vehicle available, we'll rent one for you. We really push social distancing kind of early and often together with wearing masks and obviously washing your hands constantly. And especially as our field teams were helping New York deal with the crisis by establishing and bringing power to the temporary hospitals in Central Park and in the Javits centers and other medical facilities, they did so while still following the proper CDC guidelines. Certainly. I was talking to Philip O'Brien, who is also on your team, about this idea of, as a utility, your job is to keep the lights on, but there's a growing schism between the government officials who want everyone to shelter in place, safety, 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 health, health, health. Then you have the business owners who are pushing back on this idea of staying out of business indefinitely. Are you finding yourself in that discussion, that daylight between business owners and public officials who are saying we need to shelter in place? Where does Con Ed come into this discussion? No, I wouldn't say that we're in the reopening discussion in that way. We see our responsibility, our job to provide safe and reliable power as the city and Westchester County and Orange and Rockland counties emerge and reopen and make sure that we've got a plan. We know that this summer, the commercial centers in Manhattan will have a much lower load and demand than we have in the past. And we see that demand will be higher in a lot of our residential networks, but we have put a lot of money into the system as we do every year. And we have all sorts of contingency plans with mobile generators if necessary. You can probably see me knocking on wood as we speak. We don't see a problem providing services, whatever they will be, whatever the business community will need. Sure. And look, I think you're on the happy side of the ledger. I think that utilities, telecoms, Netflix, and other streamers, you guys are on the side that's stable. And our hearts go out to everyone else who's fighting the front lines on this fight. Mary, going to wrap up with a few questions that are a little bit evergreen. Being the director of corporate communications, just kind of wanted to get your feelings about some of these. When it comes to staffing, right, your team, with the exception of Philip, <laughs> what backgrounds do you like the best? Do you like journalists, PR folks, lawyers, MBAs? What's your style? We've had great success, Phil being among them, hiring journalists, obviously for our media relations team, but a number of our writers in our creative services group Almost all of them, in fact, have some sort of background in journalism. Good journalist is a good writer. They respect a deadline. They know how to ask the right questions. They're not just reading back what you've told them. They're thinking about how to tell the story. And it's worked out very well for us. They're good writers. Today, you have to be a good videographer. You have to have a good sense of design, work with our art department for graphics and infographics. What's the best way to tell a story? We have a very talented group of people. One of the things I noticed when I was at New York One News was that they had a lot of young people for what would be a number one market, but they were all New Yorkers. So how do you feel about having folks who are from there on your staff? Do you think that's critical? Well, we look to hire the best people (laughs) and, uh, you know, we think the best people gravitate to New York. (laughs) So we've got a very diverse workforce course, as we should, and are benefit from in a very diverse city. Sometimes the New Yorkers, yes, we can be a little inbred, so somebody from out of town might be from Long Island. Right. (laughs) I suppose as far as you venture. Uh, And then finally, do you feel that press releases, and look, I mean, that was just the way to communicate back in the day. Do you feel that they're fading or would anything ever replace them outright? I mean, such a transition over the last few years to social media and you were talking about videography. How do you feel the medium has changed? It's always changing. And for the last several years, 
think every press release, short of probably some of the financial ones that we send out, is accompanied by a video or at least a photo. We've had a lot of success providing B-roll over the years. It may be in the press release as well, as sadly the press corps has shrunk and continues to do so. The sort of old-style press release, sure, that's dead, but good writing and a good story and knowing how to pitch it, that's going to be around forever. Whether it's going to be in a written press release or if press releases eventually become all video, everything is still evolving. Right, but what's most important is the fundamentals. Absolutely. Being able to communicate, yep, being articulate, (laughs) getting to the story, telling the story well. Absolutely. Sure thing. All right, Mary McCartney, Con Ed, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jay. That was Mary McCartney, Director of Corporate Communications for Con Edison in New York. I want to thank Mary for her time, as well as Philip O'Brien for setting this up. Philip helped start New York One News, so in a way, he's probably more responsible for my career than anyone else. And there's one last question I had to ask. You remember that scene in Ghostbusters when a Con Edison technician turns off the containment? Shut this off. Shut these all off. I'm warning you, turning off these machines would be extremely hazardous. I, I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not interested in your opinion. Just shut it off. <laughs> well, here it goes. I was telling some people that we were doing this interview before we did the webinar, and a guy said, ask her if they have any comment about the time in 1984 that they released all the ghosts from the Ghostbusters headquarters. <laughs> Before my time. time. Although my apartment is not that far from the apartment in Ghostbusters. (laughs) Thank you, Dan Drinsack, for the deep cut. And thank you, Mary, for not hanging up on me. You can find plenty of pictures, including Mary's slides on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy, and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio of the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 86. Be sure to join us next week when we learn how the virus is affecting the oil and gas sector. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time. Thank you.